Hey everyone, it's Raghu back with Mind Rolling and, uh, well, two of the closest people to me in my life. My son, you'll have to go uh, ahead there. You'll be at the top of the list, but Sharon is right below there as far as... and. Uh, and, Glad I made it to the top. That's yeah. That's well, I've actually known Sharon longer than I've known you. Yeah. Hey. Right. That's the weird thing about that. <laughs> so I, I just want to jump in, which is a a bit of a, a, a an announcement for really for uh, Love Serve Remember uh, because of a retreat that's coming up. But this is how this happened. So, Sharon, uh, I just, uh, and Noah put the show notes together, but basically it was, you know, I introduced Ram Dass lectures, talks. And so he put it together and he sent it to me, and it's uh, the, the timing was impeccable. It was about Ram Dass talking about going with Joseph and Jack to uh, Thailand, uh, where they did a retreat, when you know all about this, with Ajahn Chah. Mm-hmm there and i had never heard the kind of descriptive way in which he talked about this was really terrific but um i just i just wanted to share with you that this is about uh, i mean it's so uncanny it really is but ramdas is is talking about the reality of love and devotion in this tradition which is traditionally of course, nobody would even dare get to bring. Well, I'm being dramatic, but that's not true because you've you've done it your entire uh, teaching life. Uh, which is um, uh, here's what he said uh, after meeting Ajahn Chah. He said we all saw a very deep devotional, loving, and bhakti quality of he and in this tradition at its highest level. And uh, it just talked about some similarities between Ajahn Chah. You knew Ajahn Chah, right? I knew him because uh, Jack brought him to Barry. Oh, right, that time. Yeah. And he obviously had an extraordinary presence, according to Ramdas here. So So talking about Buddhism and bhakti led me to think immediately of we're doing this retreat, um, which you will be a part of in August. So everybody out there, August 25th through 29th in Boone, North Carolina at the Sri 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 uh, Ravi Shankar Center, Art of Living Center, which is absolutely beautiful. And it's it's got everything one would need to uh, enjoy uh, this kind of a retreat. And of course, I didn't know anything about this, And but what we put together, I think I talked to you about it a little bit, was uh, the intersection of Buddhism and bhakti. I'm calling it love and reason. And so what more? Per- so we'll play this at the retreat to stimulate conversation about it and so on. But, uh, I, you know, that's something, right, we have been doing while Ramdas was alive in Maui, off and on all these years, what that really is and the, the reality of which you, you three in particular, everybody who's listening or watching, uh, Jack Cornfield, Sharon Salzberg, and Joseph Goldstein were instrumental in in uh, presenting Vipassana insight meditation in this co- in the West, in this country particularly, and we have been close uh, for all these years uh, since then. And so the uh, 
the way in which people think that's completely separate from a, a devotional tradition like ours is so erroneous, and I think it's been proven out uh, by uh, the kind of work that we've done together all these years, and what you in particular, Sharon, uh, have been doing with metta and loving kindness. So, okay, everybody, you can go to ramdas.org slash mountain retreat and get all of the details. There you go. That's my ad for mind rolling today. <laughs> so, Noah, I'm going to let you take the reins here. Okay. And um, uh, see what uh, we can bring to light. Yeah. Today I want to just get into a, a couple points uh, where I encounter uh, resistance in my uh, meditation. I don't want to call it a practice. I'll just call it meditation attempts mm -hmm. for right now. <laughs> Um, but first I, I, so the first place I, uh, I start seeing this recently is I, I wear one of these silly, you know, watches that have, uh, the, the wearable technology, um, and it comes with a mindfulness app. Uh, and Whether you I want one or not, thing. it comes with right, right. Yeah, it, yeah, you know, it tells you a couple times a day, mm -hmm. something pops up and goes, Hey, it's time to breathe. Mm -hmm. And you're like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea to have yeah. something like that. Uh, I hate this thing. Um, <laughs> Why? I really, I, anytime I do it, I know that it's tracking my heart rate and it, I, it tells me focus on my breath and I'm just focusing on my heart rate and oh my God, it's going up and up and oh, wow. You know, uh, and so it's just 60 seconds of, uh, torture in that way. Uh, so I'm wondering what, what do you think about all this, uh, the coming together of mindfulness and technology that we're seeing? I actually, well, it's hard, you know, even answering that after these last two years because, it, you know, the technology was so crucial. Um, mm. I feel like in some ways I've taught more over the last two years than I have ever. Uh, and really? uh, that meant no travel, you know. And so, uh, and everything I did was so international. It was, I always ask people in the beginning to put in the chat, where are you signing in from? You know, and it'd be like Dubai, you know, Australia. It's the middle of the night, you know, <laughs> go to bed. Um, you know, so it, it has a sort of particular quality right now, <laughs> that question. Um, I think the thing is that the purpose of the breath, aside from the heart rate and all of that, uh, is really just to pause. You know, we can be in such a rush and usually are. And overburdened. And uh, one of the things I did during the pandemic, um, there were many kind of aspirations I had in the beginning I did not fulfill. Like I thought, oh, I'll learn Spanish. I didn't learn a word. But um, I thought I'm going to be kinder. And the way that manifested was I decided, one way it manifested was I decided not to send an email right after I'd written it, but to like wait read it again, and then decide if I wanted to change it in some way. And it was really fascinating because as a medium, it's so prone to misinterpretation. Like you say something and somebody reads it a whole other way than you intended, and it's easy for that to happen. So I pause and I say, okay, just take a breath, read it again. And there were so many times I rewrote it thinking, oh, that could go over the wrong way, you know, and I would just take care. And so the breath really, uh, because it's always with us, it's quite portable, as one of my teachers said, it really serves us um, as a great reminder. 
doesn't have to be that. And and you have to remember if you're not going to use your watch making a sound or, you know, something like that, you have to have some process in place. Like Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, the Vietnamese Zen master, most famously, I think, said, um, don't pick up your phone on the first ring. Let it ring three times and breathe. And then you pick it up. Something like that. So we count on the phone ringing as the reminder, or you make your computer do funny sounds, or before you press send, or something like that. And usually we're so harried, you know, it doesn't really work. But but that's what it's for. And so maybe you can get your uh, your watch to not focus so much on your heart rate, but just giving you a break for a moment. Yeah, no, it needs to be more customizable. Come on. Can we know someone at Apple? We'll, we'll get them right on that. Um, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a good way to think of it. Thank you. I will uh, definitely keep that in mind going forward here. Um, it's kind of funny, though, Noah, because you're working. Noah does some work for the foundation, Love, Serve, Remember Foundation. And there's an app being finished at this point. And he works directly on that. And part of what he's doing and one of the main aspects of it of course it has all meditations including your sharon that people can access but it can you uh, it allows for several push notifications meaning you can set a, what time i need it four o'clock every day ramdas going be here now be here now a.m or p.m or anytime you want okay. you can set the yeah you get three i think it's three noah right um it's as it is yeah and or of course you can get a a ten minute pause meditation, breath meditation mm-hmm. that you've done before, and uh, so you're in the middle of of, of yeah. It's it. definitely it's been on my mind in in that regard too. Yeah, for this new app that we're working on, and yeah, how does how does mindfulness play into all this technology? Well, could we separate a, um, the idea of say taking the breath from something being expected of you? That would, that would probably be nice, actually. Yeah. Wow. Because I see the return, and like, there's so much I forget when I get, you know, what I care about, my values. I mean, not I'm not oblivious, but you know, all the time. But when I get really busy or um, I'm in a rush, then I just want to get something done, and and it's easy to overlook. Well, wait a minute. This is what I really set out to do. You know, let's just pause and go back. Let's get back on course. Hmm. yeah yeah definitely uh need that pause in my life (laughs) everyone everyone does um all right just uh, moving on to another uh another point where i get caught um and this one you know it happens when i sometimes when i sort of successfully meditate whatever that means don't get too caught in my thoughts at the beginning Mm -hmm. um or it, and it often happens, sort of, you know, if I'm, if KD is chanting or something, and I'm just connecting to it that way. Uh, what does he say? The uh, the music uh, makes the medicine go down a little easier. Yeah. yeah. Um. So yeah, when I when I start to get into it and go down a level, go up a level, whatever you want to call it, I I hit this place. That's, you know, I, I, I was thinking about it. What do I call it? You know, it's like the, the never-ending pool of sadness or 
mm-hmm. suffering mm-hmm. or whatever. And, you know, the tears start to flow and all of a sudden I'm like, oh God, I'm crying and just focus on that. And yeah, I, this is the place I think within me where it's like everything that I've ever had to close my heart down to, that's where it goes. Mm-hmm. And I just get stuck there. How, uh, what does stuck there how, feel like? Yeah. What does it look like? It, it, you know, I turn into a, you know, a pool of tears, a puddle of sadness, you know. And, and, and you're watching it and, as it's happening or you're. Oh, yeah. You know, I'm very aware of it. Doesn't sound that stuck. Do you hate it while it's happening? <clears throat> I, I'm very resistant to it. I don't know if hate is the right yeah. word. Well, I mean, these things happen because I think we see everything as we go deeper and it would be kind of limited if we didn't, if we only saw the pretty, you know, serene parts. And uh, it's not what people think of when they think of going deep or, or meditation or something like that, but it's what happens, you know, it's what's true and nothing is forever. I will say that also. And the stuckness really um, depends on how we're relating to it. You know, are we, jumping in and saying this is the only thing I'll ever feel are we adding a sense of isolation I'm the only one are we adding shame shouldn't have this happen should have been able to control this should be able to control everything um you know those those are interesting things to take a look at it's like the add-ons and and that's right. what kind of defines you know um from the insight meditation point of view that's what will characterize a good meditation. It's not what's happening. It's how you're relating to what's happening. Mm. Okay. That's no, perfect. that's hard. That's very hard. And Yeah, no. It's, it's another sort of level to it that I, I never consider, I guess. Yeah, well, so. I mean, one of the things, one of the ways we can talk about mindfulness is like the holding environment. It's like the internal environment where cultivating within which everything's going to come and go and come and go beautiful, wondrous, extraordinary things and painful, difficult things, a lot of boring stuff in between, you know, it just all comes and goes and comes and goes, but how are we with it? You know, I had one Burmese meditation teacher named Saida Upandita who came to the insight meditation society in 1984 and um, his mindfulness technique was based on mental noting. We actually place a gentle label if the word comes easily on your predominant experience. So it might be like joy, joy, sadness, sadness, thinking, something like that. And I would go in to see him because uh, we were meeting him six days a week for these little brief meetings to describe our practice. And whatever I would say, he would say, well, could you note it? Like I tell him about this dazzling thing and he'd say, did you note it? And I think, who cares if I could note it, you know, like, and then I would tell him some very sorrowful, you know, thing. And he would say, well, could you note it? And it was all he said for like weeks. And I left, you know, his room sometimes thinking, why do we bring him all the way from Burma? It's like, all he ever says is, could you note it? Could you note it? And then I realized, you know, um, he wasn't sitting in judgment of me. Like I could have said anything. He wasn't saying, really, you know, you've been practicing. You still feel that. And <laughs> what he was concerned about was how I was relating and the way he would say that 
is could you note it because that was his his way of practice um yeah it seems like that would be difficult to do in the moment there when i'm in the midst of such intense emotions it's, it's very difficult right? there's no doubt about it and, and you can also separate out what feels the most healing to you like maybe it's kindness toward yourself not getting down on yourself because you're crying you know or something like that. that's that's a tough one for me yeah that's a tough yeah. one well there you go <laughs> you know uh i'm glad you said that because I found something in Ramdas's words, this new Words of Wisdom book that we put out at the end of last year, and it's it's so much of what we all need, and so much of what you just said. He said at one point, "I myself stand in need of the arms of my own kindness," right? And then when you really think about it, for for most people, that is the most difficult practice, and why? That's my question. What, how, do, how do you see that with, you know, all the people that you teach and, and that come to you for uh, advice and so on, really around, I mean, this is around loving oneself, compassion. But I love the way Ram Dass put it. I myself am in need of the arms of my own kindness. Yeah, that's beautiful. Hmm. Man had a way of words. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I don't know that I'm that good with why. I mean, it just is. It's so clear that even, you know, in kind of modern Western psychological descriptions of self-compassion, where they say, you know, would you talk to your best friend the way you talk to yourself? And it's like, no way, you know, like I would never say those exactly. things to that person. Uh, and why incredible. we think it's going to be onward leading is really confusing. Yeah, really. Um, but there, uh, there is something to us in the West yeah. that uh, is more particular in terms of denying this to ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's I find it really strange, uh, I mean, you know, and we see it uh, in ourselves and around us so much of the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and most people can relate right away with that. What you just said would would you talk to any any of your friends the way you talk to yourself? Probably not. Yeah, well, I think it has something in terms of Western conditioning, something mm. to do with um, our belief about what we would find sort of if we were looking underneath our personality and underneath our habits, we are, tend to think innately it's something pretty bad, you know, or that's in contrast to the East and certainly in Buddhism where it would be Buddha nature or, you know, in other schools, it would be like divinity, spark of divinity or something like that. And, mm. um, you know, I, uh, I was just uh, writing another book, <laughs> which I'm turning in this week. And uh, real change, right? The real change was a book oh, last ago. Year. It was yeah. last book. What's the new, <laughs> you're incredible how <laughs> Thank you. you do this. Uh, it's it's real life. <laughs> Real life. Yeah. Okay. You haven't talked. We, I don't know about Yeah, well, I, I was, you know. Tell us. In the middle of the pandemic, my publisher reached out to my my agent and said, would Sharon like to write another book? Hmm. Maybe something in the real series, which I, I do in honor of you, Raghu. 
<laughs> um, and I thought, not actually, but here I am. I'm not going anywhere, you know, like, right. I, you know, and it, it was really nice to write it. Um, but I tell a story in there about the Dalai Lama coming to visit the Insight Meditation Society on his first trip to North America, which was 1979. Hmm. Uh, Bob Thurman at that time was in Amherst, Massachusetts, and is you know a close friend of the Dalai Lama's and student of his, and he brought him to Amherst, and Amherst and Barry are not that far apart. So we wrote the private office, this bold, audacious letter saying, maybe he'd like to visit us too. And he did. Mm -hmm. We got a letter back saying, yeah, come. So one of the many things we did when he came um, was we had a retreat that had been going on for about two weeks. So we brought him into the meditation hall and he gave a talk and uh, he asked for questions. So this is his first trip, right, to the U.S. So this young man raised his hands and he said, I've been meditating for two weeks now and I've decided I can't do it. I have no capacity inside me to get wiser or better or I just can't do it. You know, maybe other people could through history, but not me. And the Dalai Lama got that look on his face when he's like a little puzzled. Like, oh. <laughs> And he just said, you're wrong. You're just wrong. And it was so interesting because, and then he went on to talk about Buddha nature and our innate capacity. What we will find underneath everything is like a seed. You know, it's not fully formed, but it's a possibility. It's a potential that's never, ever destroyed. No matter what we go through, it's still there as a capacity. And uh, it was very funny because, a bunch of people came to talk to me afterwards and they said, well, the Dalai Lama shouldn't have said that. That's bad pedagogy to say to somebody you're wrong, you know, (laughs) but for the kid, it was great, which is, I'm sure you know this so extensively from New Crowley Baba that, uh, you know, the message is so personally directed toward Mm. someone's need and everyone else listening is going, what, you know, like, but it was just like that. It was really great for the for the young man. So, yeah. oh, that's so great. You know, uh, I know you got some more stuff to talk about, Noah. But it just occurred to me that, uh, in terms of the listenership or viewership on YouTube, we've never really, Sharon. You know, you and I over the years, I don't think we've given people an idea of the core. Um, definition isn't the right word, but the core values in terms of uh, Vipassana, inside meditation, and what it represents, and what it, uh, in my mind, promised when I first went and, and took the first courses with Goenka in India, and what it fulfilled. So can you give just a, a nugget around that? I think it's important, because mm-hmm. we're talking about something that uh, we haven't defined. Well, mindfulness, which is really the word that's all over the place, um, yeah. is a quality of awareness where our perception of what's happening in the moment is not so distorted by like old fears or projection or, you know, we, we have a much less cluttered, confused 
um, perception of what's happening. Uh, you know, and it's so it's a training, you know, because it's like uh, there are a million examples. You know, you might feel pain in your body. You might feel heartache. You might feel disappointment. And right away we start thinking, what's it going to feel like tonight? What's it going to feel like tomorrow? What's it going to feel like next week? So not only do we have the actual situation, we have all that anticipation. And we're trying to bear it all at once. So we feel helpless and overcome. You know, so there are a billion examples like that because we do it all the time. We're in projection or we're ashamed of what we're feeling. So we're trying to push it away or disguise it or so many things. So with mindfulness, we kind of dismantle some of that reactivity so we can more be with what is. So most of the popularization of mindfulness centers on this very beautiful attribute of it, which is that we actually live our lives more fully. You know, we taste that tea instead of multitasking all the time when we're drinking a cup of tea. You know, we actually live it. Um, but classically, the main, main benefit, well, I think while that's appreciated, the main benefit of mindfulness is not that we inhabit our lives, but we understand our lives. It's like we're taught so much, and so much of it is just bogus. And, uh, you know, like, um, vengefulness is strength, things like that. But if you really look at it and you think, God, I'm obsessed, you know, <laughs> like, I just can't let go. I keep thinking and thinking and thinking and thinking about what they did. I've like now mortgaged my entire life to this person, right? That's not that strong. Or uh, so many of us have been taught that compassion is stupid or, uh, I mean, not no, of course, because you raised them, but, you know, like uh, it's a pretty common Western thing. You know, people take advantage of you and you shouldn't be generous and, all of that, but when we really look at the quality of the heart, like wow, that's beautiful, that's actually strong, that's not that weak. And so, we really get insight, which is the purpose of the mindfulness. We develop understanding, it's very personal and it's also kind of universal. Like, look at how everything's changing. This whole society of consumerism is kind of based on the idea that you can buy your way out of change, you know. That if you only accumulate enough, you won't die, you know. But let's look, you know, what happens when I really open to change? Uh, so the insight is really what frees us to, to live differently. And, and that's why it's called insight meditation. I love that. Buy your way out of change. I had to write that. That's really, that's really great. Okay, Noah. Hey, hey, Raghu, why don't why don't you say a couple words about bhakti and where it intersects with mindfulness? Well, actually, Ramdas used to say it best. Like when he did that retreat, which we uh, referenced earlier in this conversation with uh, Jack Joseph and a group of other Westerners in Thailand. And then he also did something in Burma, right, uh, Sharon? Right? He, he went over there, too. Um, so he really was pretty diligent about uh, practicing uh, Vipassana, uh, meditation, mindfulness. And he said, when I came back from those very intensive sessions, I was able to open my heart in a way that 
was much more facile, much easier, much uh, with less di- discretionary kind of thought about the actual methodology of bhakti, where there is a point of de- uh, well, actually, Ramdas says it really well here. Uh, he talks about. Um, Let me find uh, um, the Hindu guru concept. So the idea of bhakti for us was that we would focus on this um, finished being, gone beyond being, beyond uh, polarity of any sort, uh, is the merging of one's being into another. That is the most generalized description of what uh, devotion is. The jewel is the being, in Ajahn Chah's case, the jewel and the being are one, but the form is still the transmitter of the jewel. Maharaji, my guru, had no form that he transmitted. He kept undercutting forms. All there was was the nature of being. Part of my error in the past was demanding that every teacher be Maharaji and not make this distinction, but it's a very real distinction. And so um, uh, the... The idea that where you get to is primary in both of these practice practices, which is the nature understanding the nature of being and and um, when in all of these years that we spent in in Maui uh, with, with Ramdas doing retreats that that in one way or another it always he used to jive with Sharon and Jack and Joseph when he'd say soul for instance, and he'd look over and go. Is that okay to say? You know, and they don't. Everybody'd laugh, you know. And the the real talk about real Sharon, the the real nature of the way in which there really is no um, real difference. Of course, at the, you know when you get to the top of the mountain, it's all the same. But the reality of you guys in particular, because of your relationship with Ramdas and us, uh, the love was just flowing in every way. And it superseded any kind of uh, traditional uh, idioms that might be there based on soul and no soul or any of that. It just became irrelevant and that's why I've always thought that uh, that was a marvelous thing that we, we carried, on, carried on and that we're still carrying on, actually. And with this retreat, uh, by the way, I didn't even mention Sharon is going to be at this retreat by Zoom unless uh, some, the whole world changes in a different way. We'll see about that. But she will be there uh, along with Krishna Das and, and our really good friend Bob Thurman, who will he he will be able to elucidate this stuff, Noah, uh, in a way that's uh, rather entertaining, shall we say? And uh, and some other other people will be there, including Spring Washam, who's a great teacher uh, within the Vipassana t- tradition as well, and uh, East Forest and like that. So. Um, Got that in, forgot that at the beginning, so I'm happy that came up. Um, so, yeah, I think that um, it's been extraordinary having these retreats with retreats with our Buddhist brethren and getting to the point where there is absolutely complete um, integration 
of both whatever the subject matter may be and, of course, the vibration of everybody there. Now, one would have to say Ramdas did have something to do with that. His very being, right? The way he crisscrossed over these, these traditions mm-hmm. is, is pretty extraordinary, really. And also, you know, when you talk about Bob, of course, he's from a Tibetan tradition. And, and I think you see, um, you know, the kind of bhakti or devotion in, in the Theravadan or Burmese schools is more implicit. You would have it toward the truth, toward, I mean, you'd love your teacher, but the word for teacher is spiritual friend. Yeah. Um, you might have that sense of devotion toward the Buddha, and many do. But in Tibetan Buddhism, it's it's very explicit, you know, rather than implicit. And it is toward your Lama and and toward uh, it's just honoring. Like one of the things I always loved about the Tibetan tradition is that there'd be all these stories. Um, going back to what you said earlier about reason, um, of like an. an a sage scholarly monk traveling with a servant, you know, traveling around Tibet and the servant was full of love, uneducated, you know, but full of love. And as the so-called master got more and more pompous or, you know, like full of himself or, you know, scholarly, but not really open hearted, the, servant got more full of love and devotion. Of course, who got enlightened first? It was always the servant. <laughs> always. Mm-hmm. Mm. <laughs> That's great. Uh, when you talk about, uh, and just to complete the answer really to your question, Noah, around bhakti and Buddhism, uh, and in this case, love and reason. And, uh, you know, reason is a, a very generalized word. I would say uh, discriminating wisdom is really what we're talking about. And the fact that Maharaji, Neem Karoli Baba, he opened the door to the Buddhist practices that we engaged in, Vipassana and Tibetan. And um, he was very supportive of us going and doing these because he didn't particularly teach anything. It was coming from more from the one um, so, uh, having that mixed into the devotional practice and the tradition that we came from, I think was extraordinarily important and, and has really produced what Ramdas is and, and, and certainly Krishnadas as well. You do a lot of uh, teaching with him. And I think that that, um, it, it lends a certain, uh, practicality to, to what we represent, and it's not at all woohoo, shall I say? Not to say too much. But. <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps tone it down a little bit. Yeah. Uh, okay. Bring, bring some some balance. Some the yeah, middle, the, the balance there. <laughs> That's it. The balance, absolutely. I I just want to say, uh, for me, the my favorite retreat that I was lucky enough to attend was the one that all, all three of you did with, with mm. Ramdas. Uh, I can't remember what year that was, but uh, that that was pretty amazing. And, 18. Yeah. 18. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was, uh-huh. that was something. Okay, go ahead. You got some more uh, for yeah, us here? Yeah, I got, I, got, I got one more. That should be interesting. Uh, this is sort of 
every once in a while, I try to do some meta practice. And so this is where I've encountered a, a block recently. Um, yeah, I hope you own, didn't inherit it from me. Sharon no, knows all about that because no, I've no, always... My, my own neurosis. Come on, I get to okay. claim yes, that for myself. True. You're right. Thank you. <laughs> um, I, I, so I recently had a situation with my neighbor where, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's not such a nice guy. He's kind of threatened me in various ways. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I feel like he needs a little love. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I've tried sending him some meta and you know what? It doesn't, it's just not happening. I'm, uh, I'm too stuck. Whenever I start thinking about this fellow, I sort of get stuck in the fight flight. Uh-huh. response uh-huh. mode uh-huh. um and i just it's not happening it's which is funny it used to be whenever i tried meta it was you know sending it to yourself that was always the roughest thing and you know sending it to someone you, you know might not be too fond of that was okay because i never had something right. that was right so personal uh which probably just speaks to my luck and privilege as a human being not to have to really deal with this until this point in my life but yeah, it uh, it feels like a blocking point to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, well, you know, I mean, I think um, there's something about loving kindness practice which is very real. You know, like it, it does bring us into a lot of confrontation with all kinds of challenges, and um, I think the most important thing is actually to want to experiment with it, and it's like an experiment. No one's forcing you to. And if you feel forced, it's wrong, you know. Um, but if, if you want to experiment with it, like people often ask me these days, you know, um, why would I try to do loving kindness for somebody who doesn't believe I should exist as a free person or as who I am? And that makes a lot of sense. So if you see loving kindness as like approval or liking or I want to spend time with you, it makes no sense whatsoever. But I keep going back myself. I go back all the time to what they say was the Buddha's initial, very first teaching about loving kindness, where he taught it as the antidote to fear. So I thought, oh, that makes some sense. Then it's maybe worth a try. Let's see what happens from doing that. Um, Another thing I would say is that if you're going to assess whether it's helping or not, you can't judge for what happens when you're sitting there doing it. You have to see what happens next time you run into them. (laughs) <laughs> or, you know, they make some nasty comment, how much you take it to heart and how much you yeah. think guy's a mess, you know, like it's his problem. Um, it's going to be yeah. in life itself that you'll see the change. And then, you know, there are lots of ways we play, especially in that category with a difficult person. Like um, in the text, they say things like, can you imagine this person is an infant? Helpless you know, completely subject to the actions of those around them, just like we all were. Can you imagine them dying, you know, not with like glee, but, you know, like, look at that. We all have to let go of everything. All this Mm. stuff we take to heart and we take seriously and the grudges. And like, in the end, we all have to let go of everything. And I extrapolate from that. Like, is there a way you can imagine this person so that you feel you can actually offer them some loving kindness and I've heard really funny things and you can be funny, you know, like 
be creative. Like I imagine my difficult person on an island and there's food. I'm not trying to starve them, but no boat, no bridge, no aqueduct, no way they will get near me. Then I felt I could do it. Um, and if you're using phrases, which is a you know very common way of doing loving kindness, like may you be happy, may you be peaceful, you might have to change the phrases. People, I mean, if it's really bad, you know, people uh, might, I've heard people say, I'm going to offer, um, may you be free of hatred. Mm-hmm. Something like that, that I can do. And that's the measure of success. Not a great feeling, but that you can actually do the practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess I, I've come to realize I'm not doing it for the other person. I'm doing it for myself. Yeah. 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 Is is that's that's okay, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's like, yeah, it is okay. It's I really mean, I think hard. that's um people often ask me that too. They say, Well, isn't that greed? And I say, No, that's science. That's understanding. Mm-hmm. You know, if I spend one more hour, you know, like consumed with how wretched they yeah. are, that's another wasted hour. Yeah, I just I don't want to spend more energy on thinking about it and you know, honestly having some not so nice thoughts about this yeah. person that I yeah. really don't want to be having, you know? So, you know, when one perhaps can do uh meta loving kindness towards oneself first, let's just say, and then you can envision that little guy that's in all of us. Yeah. And I, I actually have a picture of when I was four or five years old, looking off into the distances, looking somewhat sad and I can really relate to it and, you know, wrap, as Ram Dass said, wrap yourself yourself with this kindness or just embrace oneself. And once you do that for yourself, then next is this, this person who's been causing pain and uh, fear. And then I think if you get the as he is now guy out of there and maybe embrace the little guy that obviously got tremendously wounded as a child maybe that would help yeah i mean i can do that on an intellectual level (laughs) i can't do it on a soul level quite yet yeah well if you can get it going with yourself first then you stand more of a chance (laughs) to get it going with somebody else it's just kind of as simple as that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, I had it. Yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Noah. No, no, you. I, that, was, that was pretty much. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, since we're in the midst of what we're in now, Sharon, and, you know, I was thinking of the, the Real Change book, and uh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy, the instability that we are in. And the, everyone is, because of digital media, everyone is completely being affected. Never mind, we, you know, are we out of a two-year pandemic or not two and a half, whatever it is? No, we don't quite know about that either. So that's their weighing as well. Um, our political polarization, our cultural polarization, and now this war, uh, the instability is very, very, very high. And I'm sure you're getting besieged in one way or another since you're doing so much teaching these days online and so on. What, uh, how are you relating with this, uh, first for yourself, and then 
how are you suggesting we can um, at least not be ourselves polarized inside by the change changes that are going on? So it's just how do I protect myself? How do I do you know that kind of a thing? Well, you know, as you know, when I teach meditation of any kind, um, the thing I uh, say constantly is your mind's going to wander. That's going to happen. Remember, you can let go and start over. That's the whole point. And I hear so many questions from people like, how can I stay balanced all the time? How can I maintain this perfect level of mindfulness when I'm not on retreat? How can I keep concentrated? And I I always say it's not going to happen. You're going to lose it. You're going to get overwhelmed. You're going to get exhausted. And you can start over. And we learn to start over sooner and sooner and sooner because we just get sensitized to this is too much. And it can be too much even in a noble cause. You know, people, I know so many people who are like glued to the news right now. Mm. Like not me. I can't. I just can't. You know, I can't function. And help mm. people and people are still getting cancer and needing help or, you know, like all kinds of people are reaching out for meditation. Um, and if I'm like a wreck, you know, it's not going to help anybody. So I have to find a kind of balance. And I think we all do. And that might sound a little cold, but, you know, it's it's all I can do, you know, is is remember, okay. I need to be informed and I need to not be doom scrolling constantly, you know, and just, just magnetized by all of this. And, um, and I I think we have to really give ourselves a break. It's going to be hard and we can start over. And also I think this is a tremendous place for community because there is so much craziness and meanness and cruelty and, you know, Hatred. It's just like, oh my God, you know? And of course, probably it always existed, but a little more hidden and uh, for many of us. And and now it's not so hidden. And um, and I think in, in politically there's stuff for us to do, you know? And, and we can't just be so disconcerted that we feel helpless. As you know, I'm a big obsessive about voting. Um, if you're in the States, if you have that right and so far. Uh, and, you know, for all the people who get disaffected and don't bother to try to make changes, and then we're really sunk, you know, so. Um, yeah. We need to engage, and we need one another to be able to do that. I actually... I did a um, program today uh, with some other people um, about grief and and the people we were interviewing were um, people who'd been through terrible things. You know, an Israeli woman whose son had been killed by Palestinians, but she was working with Palestinian mothers who'd also lost children. You know, and uh, and there were three people who were guests, and they were all they all had a story like that. And and uh, one of the things they kept saying, which was amazing, was you've got to keep laughing. 
you know, you've got to like find the joy in life. Otherwise you're just drained. And, and uh, the, the Israeli woman, actually, her recommendation was watch Seinfeld. You know, she said, just turn yeah. on the TV, and watch Seinfeld. Mm. So I had to confess I've never seen Seinfeld, but I watch what? other people. Oh, I've never God. seen Seinfeld, <laughs> but I watch others, you know, and you feel mm. so guilty, like I'm doing this terrible thing and I'm avoiding the horror of the world. And But really, you know, like... I figured if she can recommend it, it's it's really true. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Real Change is a, a good book, by the way, everybody, uh, to pick up on. Uh, that's available. We'll put it in the show notes so uh, you have a direct link to it. Uh, but, uh, of course, that's the the top, um, topic of uh, what uh, disallows us from that balance is to deny that, you know. And in the Pali, I guess it is, Sharon, Anitya, mm -hmm. constant change. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I remember, uh, so one of the great teachers, everybody, was a man named uh, Goenka, uh, who actually was Indian but had gone to Burma and learned the practice and, and really was instrumental in passing it on uh, in those days, which were 60s into or 70s. And uh, to this day, there are courses that are given uh, which use uh, going just like we do with Ram Dass. We play media and then do the practices and breakout groups and talk about it and all of that. Uh, but in the... <laughs> All sorts of strange things would happen to people when you get that intensive with this practice, like, uh, you know, 12 hours a day of sitting and walking meditation. It certainly uh, brings up lots of stuff. Some of it's horrible and some of it is ecstatic. And, and I remember one time this, this person went into this ecstatic expression, very, very vocal the whole room stopped, okay, because you could not not pay attention to it. And then suddenly you heard this booming voice, which I wish to this day I, I would have recorded, because I, uh, Anitya, <laughs> impermanence, impermanence, impermanence. And, to, you know, no, I wish we had that. Somehow we can put that together, you know, where people get a push notification saying Anitya. I'm you sure know, we can. Because it, it really, right, Sharon, is a foundational thing mm -hmm. of fear is change. And, mm -hmm. uh, of course, Ram Dass has talked a lot about it. You've written a book about it. But, um, yeah, just um, I know, Sharon, how about... Can we do a little meditation? Sure, of course. Related that way? Which which kind of meditation would you like to do? Whatever just comes through, but having to do with the acceptance of change. Noah, do you have a preference? Oh, no. Dealer's choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever comes in any way. Okay, let's uh, sit comfortably. Close your eyes or not, however you feel most at ease. 
see if you can feel your body posture as being balanced. So you want some energy in your body? That might mean sitting up straight. But you don't want so much energy like you're stiff and uptight. Just also be at ease, be relaxed. And you can start by listening to sound, maybe the sound of my voice, maybe the sounds of New York City I am bringing you right now. There may be other sounds. Just allow them to come and go, come and go. Of course, we like certain sounds and we don't like others, but we don't have to chase after them to hold on or push away. Just let them come, let them go. And feel the sensations of your body sitting. See if you can feel the earth supporting you. And feel space touching you. Usually we think about touching space. We think about picking up a finger and poking it in the air. The space is already touching us. It's always touching us. We just have to receive it.
And if you get caught, you get lost in thought, spun out in a fantasy, or you fall asleep truly, don't worry about it. We say the most important moment is the next moment after you've been gone, after you've been lost. Because that's the moment we have the chance to be really different. It's right there, actually. We don't have to judge ourselves. We don't have to blame ourselves. See if you can let go gently and just begin again. Shepherd your attention back to the feeling of the breath. Nothing's been ruined. You haven't failed. We just practice letting go and starting over. And when you feel ready, you can open your eyes or lift your gaze and we'll end the meditation. Hmm. Thanks so much, Sharon. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for being here with us. And Noah, thank you as well for co-hosting on Mind Rolling. That's always thank you a for having me. fun thing for me. Although I, I have to say when... You, you talked about earlier in the podcast about, you know, getting into very emotional states through either practice of one sort or the other, Krishna Das singing. So then, and talk about naming, guilt, guilt. I had guilt. I'm the cause of all of your problems. <laughs> no. Talk about sorry. ego, eh? Yeah. 
I'll uh, I'll claim responsibility for at least seventy five percent. Seventy five. Oh, you can god. have the other it's quarter. Twenty five. Oh god. All right. We'll have to talk to Sharon later about hey. that. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, your dog was visiting for quite a, a bit of this, but is now gone. Oh yeah. Oh, she went away. She usually is my part partner there, mm-hmm. podcast partner. Again, thank you, thank you. And everybody, of course, will have all the links uh, to uh, Sharon's books, particularly uh, Real Change. And when when is um, real life coming? <laughs> when is real life going to happen? When is real life going to happen? There you go. That's a good marketing catch. Well, right? it keeps getting postponed. But uh, um, the latest one, latest date I heard was uh, in a year. I think, I think it's April 7th. Yeah, so uh, next, next year, year yeah. Uh-huh. Okay, cool. We'll look forward. Of course, we'll we'll do a podcast around that when it gets closer to that. And uh, again, everybody, uh, Sharon will be joining us with Krishnas and Bob Thurman in Spring Washington and East Forest and myself for August 25th through 29th in the mountains of North Carolina. Go to ramdas.org slash mountain retreat and check it out. And uh, we will see you... Uh, next week on mind rolling on be here now network of course sharon has a wonderful podcast I and mean, you've been really talking to some great people thank sharon. you well the, that, the, the whole thing the way, was your brainchild i didn't even know what a podcast was you know <laughs> you said you should have a podcast I mean, okay well, what is that <laughs> <laughs> well they're they're really phenomenal especially you know hanging out with these people isn't it a joy though just talking to people from all walks of of it's consciousness really great. Life. Yeah. So uh, thanks for that. And everybody tune in to Sharon's podcast and uh, go to BeHereDownNetwork.com. There's uh, a ton of wonderful people. We'll see you next week. <laughs>